name's James, I'm a colleague of Tim Jones here at the TSU. Uh, as you can see, I'm going to talk a little bit about the notion of best practice and, and how it's kind of currently encountered in, in transport policy. Uh, I've been pretty relaxed about giving this talk uh, up until about three minutes into Sam's talk, and I realised I was going to be uh, upstaged by one of my own students, so the three of us, <laughs> the three of us left can, can do justice to the, the high standard that's been set by everyone so far. Um, this is a very small uh, research project, it's just done it over the last couple of months, a little side project to, to some other stuff I've been doing. Um, and it really stems from a curiosity about the notion of best practice. We all see it everywhere, um, what's going on, that's, that's the kind of drive behind it. Uh, I'll quickly talk about some context, then a brief overview of uh, some fieldwork, and then finally some, some kind of implications. And it's pretty rudimentary, so certainly when it comes to the implications, if that's something you want to think about for the discussion, I'd be very glad to, to get any kind of critical feedback you might have. Um, obviously, we've got the discussion, but if there's any burning questions, I'm happy to take them as we go. Prominence of best practice. This is, uh, this is from Google Scholar. This is just over the last decade, how many publications, academic, quasi-academic publications that are picked up by Google Scholar uh, have, have been published. And we've got... You know, there's nothing fascinating about that in itself. I think 2009, um, we're up to about an average of, of 6.5 or 7 new publications per day that, that mention the phrase transport policy. But can anyone hazard a guess as to what percentage of those publications also make at least one reference to best practice? Oh, you can get too high, you're ruining my head. <laughs> <laughs> it's about half, it's about 12%, 12 which, no, no, it's not very much, but I actually think that's, that's quite striking in like, bearing in mind these are, these are things that have been published. This, this obviously doesn't cover um, the various conversations that people have or the formal um, communications that, that go around various networks in, in the transport policy. So I think this is, this is significant. It's interesting in a, in a pure kind of academic sense about what's going on, but, but it's also, I think, got some kind of broader implications um, about whether it's desirable or, you know, in a, in a normative sense. So this is, this is the kind of context of what we're thinking about. Um, if you dig into the detail of, of this overarching pattern, another striking thing is, is the real heterogeneous assemblage of, of policy actors, a very diverse array of people that are actually using best practice notion and feel comfortable with it. So we've got academic, peer-reviewed academic um, publications with, with best, best practice in the title. Um, and I'm not, I'm, not being, I'm not saying that's wrong, because um, I've used the notion myself and I'm sure many of you have as well. I'm just trying to get some, some initial thinking going on. There's things like the Clinton Climate Initiative, NGOs, there's a lot of best practice um, disseminated by, by NGOs, both on a national and international scale. Um, the UK Department for Transport last year organised a best practice in transport um, conference up in Leeds, designed to disseminate knowledge about effective policy amongst local authority practitioners. Uh, we also have the Transport for London, love the notion of best practice. This is uh, from their sustainable freight plan. I think <laughs> there is about at least every other paragraph in, in this document mentions best practice, which, yeah. And of course our friends at the European Commission, very keen on um, policy convergence amongst member states and, and, and these kind of issues of best practice, again, is, is quite prevalent in, in those projects. Um, there are some unanswered questions. There is, there is some existing critique of this. People like Martin de Jong in the Netherlands, um, Dominic Stead, Harry Heerlings, I've done a lot of work on um, 
pointing out the potential naivety of, of efforts to transpose policies from one place to another. Uh, this critique is, is extremely valuable and needs to be said, but it's quite instrumental in focus. It, it, it produces, if you like, technical knowledge about the problem, about how can we better transpose practice A to, to location B, rather than kind of epistemic questions about what's going on, or, or what Flyberg talks about phrenesis, Aristotle's notion of phrenesis, you know, what are the value rational implications of what we're doing. Um, so this is my point of departure, if you like. There are three key kind of questions that have led my thinking over the past few weeks. The first is, how is the notion um, of best practice understood, encountered, uh, and employed by policy actors? That means, we haven't really looked at that, there's been a couple of efforts previously, but not really in, in enough detail. Secondly, what are the socio-political structures and causal powers? We've heard already from Peter about critical realism, following the same kind of approach here, um, that explain this prevalence that we've seen. And then finally, this notion about value rationality. Is this desirable? What are the broader implications um, of this prevalence in terms of uh, transition to sustainable mobility, increasing walking and cycling, um, decreasing private parties, whatever we're interested in? Um, empirical research, can you see that at the back? Is that top line? Yeah. Um, in that case, I'll go through column by column. I'll try not to spend too long on it, but I did eight case studies uh, in the summer. Um, they're all drawn, these are all, you can see at the bottom, I wanted to kind of get a balance between what I've termed case homogeneity and case heterogeneity. Getting people who are in the same kind of policy network, who, um, you know, according to received wisdom in, in best practice, it's often, it's, it's never defined partly because it's perceived to be self-evident, you know, we're all expected to know what best practice means. So I wanted to, to really see if that was the case, but it was quite a closely knit group that they've acted, and they're all drawn from um, what I'll term the Futures Project. You can probably work out what that is, but we haven't uh, have used pseudonyms throughout here. Um, they're all UK-based, with a UK focus, and apart from a couple of um, volunteer, uh, Chris and, and Sam volunteer campaigners, they're all full-time active travel professionals and dealing with walking and cycling policy. Uh, Collier, who's an um, exponent of critical realism at Southampton University, he talks about um, extreme cases and pathological cases. So the, I wanted to, to, to find um, or to select a few of the case studies based on you know, what people that really use the notion of best practice. So Keith down here, he runs an international conference um, about walking, which is, which is strongly um, influenced by best practice thinking. There's Lisa, who uh, is, is, a, is on this Futures Project, she's been very um, into best practice thinking. And there's Graham, who is the campaigns director for a national cycling organisation, which is also very much uh, engaged with best practice. So these are the kind of extreme cases. And then you've got these polytons pathological cases, people who are um, undergoing, um, experiencing system flux and, and dynamics in their roles at present. So we've got the top three here, Will, Sam and Chris, these are all from the city we'll, we'll call Milesworth, which is roughly the same size as, as Oxford uh, in, in the north of England. Um, and they are, uh, Will is a local authority transport planner. Sam is the local um, uh, pedestrian, uh, cycling campaigner. And Chris is, is the, also the chair of the local pedestrians association. And they all know each other, they all discuss things. It's a very kind of close, closely knit, um, knit group. Uh, Martha, Harry and Graham are <coughs> national actors. Martha is a senior uh, civil servant in Whitehall. She has a lot of responsibility for UK active travel policy. Harry is campaigns director for a major um, sustainable travel organisation. Uh, and, and I think I've already covered Graham. He's, he's, he's the 
cycling chap at the national level. Uh, so those are who the people I kind of spoke to. And what I did is I really sat down with them and I was dead keen to, to trace out how the notion of best practice is encountered by these people. So starting from the right-hand side, I wanted to know what their ultimate objective was. Why do they come to work in the morning? What is it that they're, they're trying to achieve? Now, there's no way you can see this at the back. I can't even read this from here. But uh, this, is, this is Graham. He's, he's the National Cycling Campaign. This is to, this, this uh, end, end point here. So his objective is to really increase the quality of cyclability in the UK. How easy is it to, to bike around? And he has a few targets. But if he meets them, he believes he will meet this objective. And those targets are uh, decreasing the volume of motor traffic in the UK um, and decreasing the speed of that motor traffic. Those are the two key components that he, he's really, really keen to, to influence. I talked with him about the key audiences that he has to speak to and he has to listen to and engage with. And then I was interested in his activities and what turned the endogenous functions of best practice, how he himself uses the notion of best practice to, to achieve his, his objectives. And then down the bottom, the exogenous functions of best practice, how other people within policy network use best practice and how this either um, positively or negatively affects Graham's ability to meet his own objective. And I, I did this with, with all eight um, cases. There's way too much information to go through it all, but uh, that's the kind of approach I followed. Um, and some brief key, key findings. Practice. When people talk about practice, they're actually talking about very different things. What we would expect, and it certainly comes out, is, is most people talk about interventions when they talk about best practices. They're talking about that shared space or you know, new types of cycle lanes. Those are, those are the, the main kind of thrust of what people are saying. They also, also talk about the design standards of these things. So widths, minimum widths, guidance on how high you must build something or low or um, accessibility guidelines. They talk about social actualities, and this is probably best to think about as a social practice, but I think we'll have practice and practice. Um, so Will, for example, who's the, the county council planner, he talked about best practice as, as um, Danish cycling culture. It was the culture that was the practice here. It wasn't anything directly related to policy per se. It was fashion and, and what we've seen um, this afternoon about all the different ways in which um, other places in Northern Europe really have cycling built into their lifestyle and into their culture. And there's also processes about how interventions come to be. This was stressed by Keith, the, the chap that runs the um, International Conference Network. He was really not so hot on the notion of best. He didn't really care what was best in one place. He wanted to disseminate knowledge about how you can get things implemented. What are the legislative challenges? What are the jurisdictional issues you have to overcome? Some other kinds of barriers. Um, so that's what, that's what drove him. That's when, when he talks about best practice, he wasn't talking about interventions, he was talking about how you get interventions onto the ground. And this is key as well. I had got quite an interesting case study, but I took it out in the interest of time. If we do have time left, I've got some slides on the tag on the end. Best is interpreted in two different ways. It's interpreted in a relative sense, so practice A is, is better than practice B, C, D, whatever. But it's also interpreted in an absolute sense. So what is best? What can, what's the best thing for cycling we can conceive of. And when those two are conflated, and they are, that can have real ramifications for how people engage with each other within policy communities in relation to active travel. Um, although it's associated with policy learning, and that's where I'll focus mainly on in, in, towards the end of the presentation, um, it's certainly not confined to policy learning. It's, it's as much about rhetoric, which I'm sure you will, you will realise, you know, there's a lot of advantages to labelling something as best. They can see many different 
there's also this rhetorical element um, that, that comes in as well. And there are some strong exponents of the notion, um, and there are others who are vehemently opposed. I've just got two quick uh, examples of these. This is Harry, the National Transport Campaigner. He says, as a campaigning organisation, we don't want to just be carping on about how terrible everything is, with visions of doom, anger and outrage. So we always want to have a positive message to tell. Best practice actually does encourage people to think of it, and you get a process of change, rather than just stasis. So you can get people to walk and cycle. It's not just about giving up and saying, oh, it's been in decline for 30 years, therefore it will always be in decline. It's recognising that things can be different, and they can be done well. It's not completely cloud cookie land. So here, there's, there's some kind of advantage to Harry using the notion of best practice when he's trying to convince policymakers that things can be a bit different. Now, this is, uh, this is Chris, the local pedestrians campaigner. And he says, I think best practice is very limiting. That's the original emphasis. He, he hates it. Um, Most people who call themselves traffic engineers aren't engineers. They're recruited to deliver design solutions. And what do they do? They look to best practice recommendations for those. Take Longstreet, for example. Milesworth County Council put the drop curves in, but they didn't think about the effects of rainfall and drainage. So the drop curve, with its tactile surface, uh, surface, installed in order to provide guidance to the poorly sighted pedestrian on where to cross the road, actually delivers pedestrians into water after rainfall. Best practice says put this colour of tactile surface in, but best practice forgets about the basics and they're not done. So he was really adamant that by, um, by, poor, by, by disseminating examples of best practice, you, you remove the element of craft from practitioners. You take out, you, 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 you devolve their responsibility to some kind of ephemeral, um, external thing, rather than it's their responsibility, it's your job to make sure my grandparents don't get wet when they cross the road. That's not done because of best practice. So he, he's very anti, but he's very different. Ostensibly, you know, everyone talks about best practice. We, we understand what it means. Actually, there are some very, very divergent opinions. Uh, Peter and I have also been reading the same books. This is Andrew Sayer, uh, Method in Social Science. This is the kind of critical realist framework I've used to, to try and get under the skin of why this prevalence is and, and how we can understand it. So if we work from right to left, the events, Sayer basically says that you can explain events um, as a function of, of a, an object with a particular structure that, that necessarily possesses certain causal powers and liabilities that, that are triggered under certain conditions. So if you can think about this, uh, think about a match. The match has an inherent um, capacity to, to combust. Um, but it will only do so if, if, you, if you strike it, if you, act, if you, if you start that generative mechanism, that, that trigger. So this is the kind of thinking I've, I've used to try and work out why the notion of best practice is used, why people say best practice. Um, in other words, you've got latent kind of causal powers of the best practice notion. You've got associated triggering conditions, and this leads to material uh, usage of the term best practice. The first one, <coughs> excuse me, the first one of these is what term heuristic learning. This is the first causal power, and this is inherent in, in the notion of best practice. And it's triggered where, where there are demands on actors for, for pragmatic policy knowledge. So when Will, uh, Will's supervisor or boss in the county council says, Will, you know, we need to have this active travel strategy for the new local transport plan. Go and do something about it. Best practice in that instance becomes a form of heuristic learning. We'll, we'll talk about this later on. Um, the second causal power is what I've termed discourse manipulation. So this is where the, the current way in which cycling, let's say, is being talked about, 
is, is seen as, as, as dissatisfactory to some actors. So in uh, Marlsworth, Sam, the local cycling campaigner, was very frustrated by the very blinkered, um, quite narrow-minded approach of the county council. And so when he talks about best practices, he cites you know, what the Dutch are doing, what the Germans are doing, he does it to shape the level of, of, of the debate. He, he does it to raise it to a higher plane, if you like. Um, the third one, this is very simple, although it's phrased a bit waffly, egoistic promotion, uh, where there are demands for the acquisition and exhibition of, of what Paul Duke terms symbolic capital, i.e. I want to label my own things as best because it reflects well on me. So that's pretty self-explanatory. The, the fourth thing is kind of related to this, but conceptually distinct, affiliative justification. And this is where, um, under conditions of risk and, and uncertainty, when we're all required to make um, certain decisions, best practice can be a kind of a crutch, a safe, an insurance policy. You can put your hands up and say, well, you know, I was only following what's best practice. They don't come at me. Um, so that's, that's the kind of the fourth power. And then finally, there's this notion of um, this power of strategic articulation. And this, this was really interesting when um, I was talking to Harry, who's the, the uh, director, the campaign director of the, the National Transport Charity. Um, there are demands on him for effective and efficient what term transframe communication. We'll talk about that bit, a late, that bit a bit later if we've got time. Um, but he has been meeting with Norman Baker, who is the Lib Dem um, transport Shadow Transport Minister uh, Secretary in opposition. Now Norman Baker is in the cabinet, and uh, Harry and his colleagues have to think very carefully about how they try and persuade him to do certain things and how they try and influence his decisions. And best practice examples were seen as really crucial to this because they actually had meetings in, in their charity about what's the learning style of the various people we want to influence. Are they numbers people? Are they anecdotal people? Um, the best practice in this sense um, was quite a powerful communicative tool as well. Two minutes left. Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, heuristic learning. This is learning is, is crucial. We all need to learn. Um, best practice is a type of heuristic that we use as a cognitive shortcut to make sense of all the different knowledge that we're, that we're uh, um, all the different information that's available to us. There are different. I'll skip this. This is the final slide. The numbers, the letters correspond to uh, the different actors that I've spoken to. We've got three kind of dimensions. First, and the x axis is, is practice. All the different things that we can talk about when we talk about practice. Y is performance, things that are best, good, or worst. Uh, and then you've got these two kind of planes. You've got the, the, the relative plane and the absolute plane in terms of how you uh, make judgments in relation to what is best. What I'm arguing is that actually we tend to be clustering around this vertex here, this relative best intervention point. And there may be opportunity costs for policy learning if we ignore what goes on up here and in this corner, in this corner, in this corner. So there are, if we focus on interventions, what do we miss out when we're thinking about um, you know, what Peter was saying about um, looking at how Dutch best practice has come about? It's actually very path dependent. If we don't engage with understanding those kind of causal processes, we're not going to get very far. If we only think about things that, if we only look about what's relative best and, and we ignore absolute thinking about you know, what's the ultimate we could think of for cycling, that's a problem. There's the Fosbury flop, the famous high jumper. 
who was the first guy to jump backwards, and he smashed the world record by doing so. If, if he had followed best practice, diving forwards, he would never have got that extra few inches that came. I'll finish there.